Welcome to the Talk About Earth podcast, a place where we discuss environmental science, justice, policy, and activism. In this episode, I'm joined by Emily, a former environmental chemist. The conversation continues at my live stream at twitch.tv slash Bela. Earth is our home, so let's talk about it. Welcome to Talk About Earth podcast. This is Emily. <laughs> Hi, guys. All right. So you can go ahead and introduce yourself to the community, and we'll talk about, like, all the stuff that you did in the lab. It'll be awesome. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, so I'm Emily. I'm in Tennessee, so I'm on Central Time Zone. It's 3 o'clock here. Um, but I have been in, or I worked in environmental chemistry for a year. I have a bachelor's of science in chemistry, just general chemistry. Um, I went to a really tiny liberal arts college here in Tennessee, surprisingly enough. And um, I got out of the chemistry field because I am very um, extroverted and it just wasn't enough of a uh, social interaction for me, mm. but um, I miss chemistry every day. I was just telling Bela, I was like, I'm so glad to be talking about chemistry again. So, yeah, STEM is really, really awesome. Like, you know, I'm in like liberal arts, even though environmental science and policy, it's still categorized in the liberal arts section of my university. Um, but there's been times I'm like, man, I just, I really miss like my biology classes and I don't miss the exams at all. Mm. Um, but just the, the, the knowledge, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. I started with a degree in biology, but it's so much memorization. I just could not handle it. So left biology and jumped on the chemistry train. Nice. Um, so what like fascinated you the most about chemistry? Like why you made the swap from biology to go directly into chem? Yeah, so I guess um, when I started in college as a freshman, I had this novel idea. I was like, oh, I can double major. It'll be fine. Yeah, that was dumb, but whatever. Um, So I guess the biology to me was really interesting. Like my favorite course was probably like micro or Mm. genetics. Like I really liked that kind of stuff. But the memorization just could not do it. My brain doesn't work that way, I guess. But with Mm. chemistry... Um, For chemistry, I guess it's just math driven, uh, fact driven. It's very easy to um, like figure out, get from point A to point B, I guess. And like it's more logical than biology to me is in my head. So that's why I kind of transferred full time into chemistry. Got it. Yeah, because like with most chemical equations, you're because what goes in has to come out. Like, there's no right. guesswork of like, oh, I mean, maybe this, like, eh, you know, like, where biology, if you're looking at, well, I mean, carbon chains, like, ochem is, is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be like, hmm, there, there's, there can be some guesswork there. <laughs> Definitely. I'm not even going to lie. I took um, ochem twice. I took it as a sophomore and did really bad. Um, But there was also like personal stuff going on that affected that. I took it again my senior year and I had to throw myself into it. I mean, library all day long. And I mean, I came out with A's. So, I mean, it was worth it, but it was a lot of work. Yeah, that's how I felt with um, like calculus. It's just like you're sitting there and you're like, okay, just literally have to just sit down and study all the time. 
Otherwise, you'll get it. Definitely another one that's rough. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So with your degree being like general chemistry, how did you get into like the environmental like lab part? Was that through an internship or a a professor or? Yeah. So um, I guess for finding like jobs in chemistry, it's a little bit harder than like it seems if you're not going straight into like a professional school. Mm. Um, So I had this excellent advisor um, my sophomore through senior year. um, Shout out Dr. B. Um, She was great. She um, really helped me do research on different um, aspects of chemistry and different types of jobs that would be available. Mm. Um, And that's how I landed. Um, I'm here in Nashville, so big city. Um, And it's easier to find jobs, you know, the bigger city you're in. Um, And so she kind of laid out all the different job options that would be out there. Um, And I loved the lab work of chemistry. Like that was my favorite part. Like she would have to literally kick me out of the lab when it was time to lock up because I didn't want to leave. So I knew I wanted to stay um, somewhere in a lab. Um, So then I just kind of started researching some of the companies that she found um, here in Nashville. Nice. Um, So what was the process like? Um, you know, getting interviewed for an environmental lab, like were they searching for a specific type of experience or they were just like, hey, can you just kind of know chemistry? You have a degree, like, what is that like? Yeah, so I actually, um, when I was getting ready to graduate, I started doing applications, um, scheduling interviews. I applied to a ton of places, but um, three places in particular reached back out to me. One, I had like a phone interview and they were looking for a little bit more specifics. Um, Mm -hmm. They were looking for, I guess, like internship experience or research experience. And I mean, the school I went to was so tiny. It was so hard to get like any kind of funding for a research project. Yeah, that's so... Right. So I didn't have that kind of opportunity available to me. Um, The other two companies that reached out to me um, were both in the environmental science field. Well, they all three were, but these two specifically focused on environmental science. (laughs) Um, One of them was looking for someone with more experience. And then the one I got hired at, um, they were like, we actually prefer you without experience. Um, That's interesting. Right. So um, when you I went in for the interview and they were asking me all these questions and I was like, never like I have no experience. I don't know what to tell you. And they were like, that's actually really great um, because we have um, standard operating procedures that you have to follow. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's easier to train you the way we want it done than trying to break you of habits from working somewhere else. Oh, got it. Yeah. So I guess it's just dependent on the company, but um, yeah, I mean, they definitely hired people fresh out of college with zero experience for the sole purpose of being able to mold them into the person they wanted you to be, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of reassuring because, um, you know, I guess for a lot of people graduating, especially right now, it's like, uh, you know, you look at the job listings, you're like, you need to have like 10 years of experience for an entry level job. Right. And it's like, that doesn't m- math well. Right. I, don't, <laughs> I don't understand that. How do you expect me to have experience for an entry level position? It's kind of screwed up right now. So yeah, like um, you need to be a 
a super astrophysicist to go and press the buttons. Like, what do you... Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess... Sorry, this light is, like, bouncing off my glasses. Um, no worries. Yes. So I guess what I would recommend, if you're getting ready to graduate, you're looking at jobs, even if they say that there's experience required, if you have a degree in the field, I would, I mean, go for it. At least put in the application because you never know. It could be, like, they are technically required to put that they need experience mm. because, I, because the job that I got, I mean, it said, like, experience preferred. But they still hired me. And so, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Nice. Um, so what was it like, you know, day one, you walked into the lab and what was that like experience like and the kind of expectations that they um, like wanted from you like on day one? Yeah. So on the first day, um, I actually didn't even go into the actual lab facility until after lunch. Um so I clocked in that morning at like 8 a.m. Um, and you have to watch a zillion videos, right? So you have to watch videos about like proper protective equipment. So your PPE, all of that good stuff. Um, you have to watch video trainings on like the hazard signs that are on labels, um, different chemicals on air tanks, depending on what kind of facility you work at. Um, they have videos um based on all the equipment that you're going to be using. Mm. So I was literally watching videos from like 8 a.m. to like noon. Um, but after that, they brought me down into the lab and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen at the time. I was like, <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, so it's this um, huge open room with benches um, and the, they had all their equipment um, on it. So there are a lot of tests that can be run on instruments nowadays. So there are a lot of tests, um, instruments set up. But then there were like your standard like titration stations and beakers and all that good stuff. Um, so the first day, really, they just kind of showed me around and I shadowed um, the specific department I was working in for probably a week before they let me touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine like just looking at all this like glorious lab and just being like, just let me work. And they're like, okay, no, you can look, but no touch. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, I just want to touch all the things. And you can't like, you couldn't have, I mean, you could like, they would teach you like little bits at a time, but they wouldn't let you have like free reign over anything. So oh, yeah, I mean, lab safety is definitely oh really definitely. yeah. <laughs> um, so and then when we were talking, you said that the lab that you worked at um, mm -hmm. was a water sampling, like testing water yes. quality. Yes. Um. So the lab I worked for um is actually. Well, they've since been bought out by another company, but they still do the same stuff. Um, but at the time when I got hired, we had 13 buildings on the campus. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So we had a bunch of different departments. So in my building, um, it was wet chemistry and metals. Okay. Um, we had an organics department, an inorganics department. We started a department testing for, um, like, radioactivity. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't, mm, I feel like there are other, uh, like volatiles, semi-volatiles. So all these departments. Um, My department, though, was the wet chemistry. So we focused a lot on um, water quality. Um, We did a lot of tests with um, local, like, sewers. Um, Like, we would get porta-potty waters in, which were horrible. Oh, Uh, I can only imagine. (laughs) Zero of ten, do not recommend. Yeah. Um, we would get samples in from like, there was one company I remember like pretty specifically, it was a, um, like they produced, um, some sort of meat and we would get like their runoffs. Oh God. So like all kinds of insane stuff like that. I can only imagine how like disgusting that would be. Like if like, you know, blood sampling in the water, like. Right. Oh Gross. Oh, yeah, this has to be, like, shuddering. Like, I mean, you get this sample, run it through the the freaking, uh, like, what little computer, right, that would go and tell you what. Right. And it's like, hey, there's just animal blood and a whole lot of feces. Wow. Um, Right. Right. It was was something, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I guess, like, with that, like, what was the the worst or like most interesting sampling um, you got to look at? Um, the worst sample was 100% most definitely the porta potty water. Oh. Um, so I don't know if you guys know what Bonnaroo is, but Bonnaroo is held here in Tennessee. It is a music festival um, and it's right down the road from where, where our lab was located. And so it's this big music festival that, um, is like a multi-day festival and people like camp out there and there's lots of like drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. So we would, (laughs) yeah, basically. And so we would get all of their porta potty samples every year. And it was just like, like before the samples would come in, it would be like, okay, it's Bonnaroo. So we know next week it's going to be nasty in here. Um, Yeah, so that one was definitely the worst um, as far as, like, one time of year sample. Um, As far as, like, something that we consistently tested for, um, we had, like, runoff or wastewater from a um, chicken farm, and it contained a lot of, um, like, chicken feces and stuff, so it was pretty disgusting as well. Gross. So I'm wondering, like, why would you need to go and sample like porta potty water? Is it like just to make sure, see like if that ends up in another like open water source or something, or it's just right? So there are all these regulations, and I don't know the specifics, but they there are regulations on porta potty companies um, for they have to get their waters tested like right like I guess straight from the source and then they have to test it out and then we have to sample it like multiple times multiple samples were taken to make sure that the pHs were correct to make sure that the wastewater content like wasn't too high or whatever so they could properly dispose of it so they would usually Mm. do yeah they would do like a comprehensive panel um they would do um, test from an extended period of time and an extended period of 
um, tests within the lab, and they would put those together to like determine what the appropriate course of action would be to get rid of it. Got it. I never, I'm surprised I never thought of that, that that's like, they have to like, know the disposing end of it, right? Because you just think of porta potties just like it's there and then it goes to like a, right. a pumping station or something, right? But right. Big yikes. <laughs> Did that make um, like the lab smell pretty bad during that time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, it did smell pretty bad. And mm-hmm. um, we also like the specific building I worked in had like a pretty bad like air conditioning problem. Oh, no. So like, and Bonnaroo's in the summer. So couple all that together, there were a lot of walks mm-hmm. outside for sure. Oh no. <laughs> oh, I mean. Uh, just bless you for doing that work. <laughs> Someone has to do it. Right. But I, I never thought about it until I saw the first one. And I'm like, um, what is this? Excuse me. Yeah, and they're like, oh, wait, you didn't know? It's like, no, this isn't talked like, about. No. <laughs> um, so but was uh, drinking water also like a common, like something that you guys tested or mainly just like kind of polluted waterways? Yeah, so we had some drinking water samples as well. Um, We had three, my specific department had three categories that we worked with, um, groundwaters, wastewaters, and drinking waters. So um, the really interesting thing about drinking waters is obviously um, they can't be held to the same standards as the other two forms of water. Mm -hmm. And um, so we would have to kind of switch all of our systems a little bit we had to build or i say we the it department had to build like specific programming for our drinking waters um outside of the other types of samples because um whatever's in a drinking water obviously is going to be much more minute um you know smaller quantities so we um we typically got drinking waters from most of the counties here in Tennessee. Um, there are some other labs that do drinking water testing, so we didn't get all of them, but we saw a lot of that. Um, so I'm not sure if it's something that like you're like illegally allowed to share, um, but like the what is the kind of like standard quality of drinking water, or like what's like in like drinking water in like Tennessee, if you're allowed to share. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure on like all the specific standards that are there, but I can tell you the things that I personally tested for. Um, I ran a, um, it's called a total organic carbon test or a TOC, um, and we would run those on groundwaters, wastewaters, um, but we did get a lot of drinking waters. We actually had a specific instrument that only ran the drinking waters for that test Mm. um, because we had to use different chemicals, different solutions um, and different like standards um, for those types of uh, samples. So I ran that test a lot. um, And then there was also testing for um, like, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the department, but they did like testing for like chlorine, like chlorides, fluorides, all of those types of chemicals. And mm-hmm. they ran a lot of tests um, on, on the drinking waters as well. So nice. Um, I guess like, uh, like a curiosity thing. So 
with the type of samples that you that you would get across um, like Tennessee, like on drinking water, um, was there a pretty clear distinction between like areas that are more impoverished on drinking water quality compared to those that are like in like the more wealthy areas? Um, like, was there a big difference in that or not? really to your knowledge not really from what i saw um Mm -hmm. to be honest um we so when i started working there the company had already been testing the drinking waters um you know for an extended period of time so by that point um they had already been able to kind of report any inconsistencies in the water um back to the facilities Mm -hmm. so it was kind of more or less like a routine test if you will so We would run tests on um, the public drinking waters um, basically every month, every couple of weeks, depending on which county the water was coming from. Okay. That's reassuring. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of standards that go into tap water and like public water um, that have to be like, it's like a mandate in each state or each county specifically on how often those have to be tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and from my perspective or from like our side as chemists, um, we had a standard that we would run all the waters against. Um, so it would be the same standard every single time from the same manufacturer. So you knew that the results were correct. Um, so you know, like you would be able to tell that the machine was working properly or the instrument you were using or whatever method you were using wasn't contaminated. That's so cool. (laughs) Um, So what um, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, like being really extroverted um, and working in a lab. So was there just like, what is the lab life like then? Um, Do you work with your colleagues often or, or was it just kind of, on your own uh, for hours at a time? Yeah, so part of my problem was I was on the night shift, so that also didn't help, or it Uh, wasn't really night shift, it was like second shift. I did work occasional day shifts, though. Um, But the thing is, um, the department I was in specifically, and pretty much all of our departments, are so busy. So um, if, or in environmental testing and other testing, I'm sure there are things called hold times. So a hold time would be like an expiration date, if you will. Oh, okay. So you would have to test a product by like the first department I started working in, you had to test your uh, products within seven days. So those samples had to be completed within a seven day turnaround time. However, we had a department called short holds and that department um, had to have all their tests completed within 24 hours of the sample being gathered, not us receiving it, but the sample being physically bottled. Oh my gosh. So we're talking ship time and we're talking sorting through shipping. um, And then that would have to be delivered to their bench and they would have to test it immediately. Um, um, what kind of samples like were often considered short time? Would that be like emergency, like if there's a spill somewhere or? Um, so I never worked in that specific department, but they ran tests like um, um, they tested for like chromium. Mm-hmm. Um, they tested for like odors, colors, things of that nature. So like 
if you take a sample of a product and you're testing it for a physical property, that physical property could break down or change very quickly. Um, so, right. So you're wanting to do those types of tests, uh, very rapidly. So it's not necessarily the product itself or the sample itself. It is what test you're running on that sample. So we would receive like multiple containers of the same, um, sample and that, um, those containers would be distributed amongst the different tests. So it's really dependent on the standard operating procedures for each test more than it is for the sample. Okay. That makes sense then. It's like, Ooh, wondering, like, <laughs> I'm like here thinking like, Ooh, like if I'm in a lab and like, I'm doing this kind of thing. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah. So so I guess it came down to like the shift time just wasn't really like favorable for being able to work with like groups of people. Right. Then. Right. So um, there are so many tests that have to be run within each department and you have so many people, um, you know, in the lab. So there are people everywhere, but we're so spread out because we have so much workstation that you can't just have a conversation like you would have if you were working next to, next to someone like in an office. Um, yeah. You would have to like physically shout to hear the other person. Um, so we're talking like lunch breaks, meetings. Um, there were some people there that smoked. So if you were on a smoke break, like things like that would be about the only time you would have to really interact with other people unless you were um, collaborating on a sample or something. So I'm wondering, since they allowed uh, smoke breaks, would they have to come back in and like completely like, um, I mean, just for the... Wow, I can't think of the word right now. It's not quality, but like the, I guess I'll just use the quality for the quality of the sampling testing. Uh, did like those that smoke have to like go through like an extra kind of like sterilization process coming back into the lab? Was that necessary? No, it wasn't necessary because we were all provided with our own lab coats. Um, so oh. as long as you weren't wearing your lab coat outside, which was against the rules anyways, <laughs> then you would be good to go. So everybody um, was given... Two, three lab coats when um, we were employed, um, and then they provided gloves. Um, I had little shields for my glasses, but if you didn't have glasses, they provided you with safety glasses, all of these things. Um, and those were to stay inside the building at all times unless you were transporting a sample from one building to another. So if you were on a smoke break or anything like that, um, the lab coat was so thick that when you put the lab coat on, it didn't, um, you know, cross contaminate anything. Okay. Nice. Are you, were you able to keep a lab coat? No, I wanted to steal it so bad. I thought about it, but I was like, if I steal this lab coat and they come after me. Yeah. I'd be like, that's a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Like that was the shining moment. I'm not even going to lie. I had my little name on it and everything. I was like, yeah. It's like, I'm officially a researcher. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and the really cool thing is um, the company actually contracted a laundromat. Well, not a la normal laundromat, but like someone to come in and do all of the laundry for us. Oh. So the lab coats actually never even came to our homes. Um, and so they would actually clean those in a facility um, 
that was only cleaning our lab coats. Mm -hmm. So there was no contamination of our samples into like the outside world or whatever. That's really freaking cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a personal laundromat. (laughs) Yeah. Like personal cleaning assistant. That's, that's fascinating. Um, Right. So what was like your favorite, like your favorite um, process thing to do when, um, when you were doing the sampling? Like what was your favorite part of the process of checking these samples? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we actually received samples from all across the country. Um, and those samples were kind of dumped into what we called our cold room. Okay. Or it's it's just a giant freezer with these huge shelves that store all of our samples. Um, and they're broken up by category of whatever test you're running. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess, like, I, I ran a lot of different tests. But one of my favorite was called the TOX water test. That is T-O-X which stands for total organic halides. Um, That was at the time a groundbreaking test. It was very new. Um, And there was only one instrument on the market that ran the test. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So there are a lot of companies out there that make testing equipment and only one had figured out how to uh, construct this instrument. And so I had proven myself, I guess, to be dedicated or whatever. And so my supervisor pulled me from my projects and put me on this new test. Um, And it was a lot of work, a lot of frustration. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really cool to be able to say, like, I was one of the first people ever to use this type of instrument um, and that kind of thing. It it was a very interesting test. Um, It, like had like fire like we did like combustion oh, what? And stuff. yeah yeah That's so we so had cool. like um an internal pipe and it had like a combustor inside the instrument okay and you would drop so you would filter um a hundred milliliters of your water sample through a like carbon activated uh not carbon activated charcoal filter about this big okay And you would then push the activated charcoal into a tube and the tube would insert into the instrument and it would literally combust the activated charcoal. And then you could watch it on your screen, like a little graph that would show you the results. And I mean, a man that tests like was stressful, long, long days getting it figured out. Yeah. But like when we had got to the point where we could run like a whole group of them without hiccup, it was so rewarding. Mm-hmm. And that I bet that felt just amazing being like, I am the person working on this new technology. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was it was really cool because I was by far the youngest person in the lab and I was yeah. like, like look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Hmm. Um so I have a question from Revolving Potato. I was asking like has there been any dangerous or like scary things that you've tested before? Um So to be completely honest, we are kind of blind when we test the samples. Um, If there is like something hazardous, of course, there's a label or marker on the container. But we don't know, like we know 
the account name, but we don't know any details about the product until we open the sample. Um, so that so there's no like scientific research bias, I guess, regarding that. Um, I never dealt with anything like sample wise too scary, um, but we did have a whole department that worked with um, radio chemistry. Oh man! And yeah, and so we actually um, they were building that that radiochemistry lab when I first started working there. And when we started getting those samples in, they were storing them in the same freezer or cold room as our samples until they could get theirs up and running. And so that was a little like, mm, not you sure. You how- be contaminating all of these samples with your samples. Right. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely have, like, some acid burns on my skin. We use hydrochloric acid all the time, mm-hmm. and I would drop it, like, between my lab coat and my gloves. Oh, so, like, man. as far as, like, mm-hmm. that, um, that's not really a sample per se, but I have, like, I had acid burns in my lab coat and my jeans, um, you know, whatever. So, I have, like, a little scar. I don't know how to get it to the camera. I don't think you can see because of the light, but it's, like, right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um I had like holes in my clothes for a while until I finally replaced everything after I left. Dang, yeah, it's like the dangers of being in the lab. Like you just don't wear clothes that you are in love with into the oh, lab. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. So that was the really like awesome thing about working there, to be honest. Um, there wasn't really a dress code, I guess. Um as long as you were wearing long pants and if your ankles were showing, obviously you wanted to have socks yeah. connecting your shoes to your jeans or your, I mean, I wore yoga pants and leggings a lot. I'm not even going to lie. So um, that was really a good part for sure. Now it's like you get, what is it? Like casual Fridays every day of the week. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like I would roll up there, like not even fix my hair, just put a beanie on my head and keep working. No one cared. Like, people wore caps and everything. It was great. That sounds like such a nice environment to work in. (laughs) Right? Like, the dress code environment part of it was exquisite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, so um, was the lab a 24-hour lab? Like, consistently running um, all hours of the day? or So, it wasn't... We weren't scheduled for 24 hours. That's not to say that people weren't there 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so all the lab buildings were cl- locked from the outside 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, we had these fancy little key fob things that we had to scan on, like, um, like the panels on the outside to let us in. Yeah. And if we had access to that building, we could get in at any time 24-7. Um, so they were really lax with our schedule for the most part. I was technically scheduled like 5 p.m. to like 3 a.m. or something. I don't know. But like I never actually worked that. Like I kind of just bounced around um, like anywhere from coming in at 2 to coming in at like 6, mm-hmm. depending on what the um, – tests were and what needed to be accomplished that day um I worked with one woman who was like way more dedicated than I ever thought about being and if you know me at all I'm like insanely dedicated so this was like <laughs> so she crazy was like you know at like 200 percent like a thousand percent man like she was crazy I mean like we were really good friends I I really enjoyed working with her mm-hmm. but she was the kind of person that 
would take everything onto herself. She knew how to do every test in the lab. And so, yeah. So if there was something to be done and someone wasn't there or needed to go home, she would like say, Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so she, there were many times that that woman would get to work at like 7 a.m. and then still be there at like midnight or something insane. What? Yes. Yes. And like, I even knew her to like, Go out to her car in the parking lot and take a nap and then a nap or a sleep or whatever and then come back in. Mm. So, like, if it was busy, there were people there 24-7. I mean, but there wasn't always a need for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess she just really loved her job. Like, that's, wow, props to her. Right, right. I mean, I I hope she's doing well. (laughs) I know, right? I mean, that's, I thought about that all the time. I was like, ma'am, you need to slow down. You need to take care of yourself because you're going to get burnt out. And then where are we going to be, you know? Yeah, like, don't want to be working on burnout when you're in a lab because that can lead to a whole lot of complications. Right. I mean, working burnout in an office is like, it sucks. But like, if you're in a lab and you're burnout, you're going to be breaking stuff, spilling stuff. Yeah, get acid, like just all over your foot, like, or mixing tests up. Um, Right. You have to be so careful because um, those kinds of contracted environmental tests are extremely expensive. (laughs) So like, um, if we made an error on our part, then we would not only repeat the test free of charge, but then we would not charge the customer for the initial test because we screwed up. So, right. So you had to be very cautious about what you were doing. You had to make sure that you were mentally there um, because, I mean, doing that, not only would you get in trouble, obviously, um, but you would be losing the company a lot of money. So, and potentially clients. So, you know, you just have to be extra cautious about what you're doing. Um, uh, kind of, I know, like, I'm, like, kind of bouncing forward, back and forth oh, on right. questions. Um, but I just thought, because you mentioned that the samples were kept in, like, a freezer. So were they, like, frozen into ice and then thawed out? Or they were just kept in a cool space? Yeah, so I guess freezer is technically a bad word. I guess it's a giant refrigerator, not okay. a freezer. But that was a, a word choice poorly on my part. Um, but yeah, so giant refrigerator, um, mm-hmm. we had to keep, so the first department I worked in was gravimetrics and that department, all of the samples had to be kept at seven degrees Celsius. Um, just like 40, um, yeah, some 40, roughly. 50, like somewhere around there in Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, we had a whole depart or a whole team. They were the sample storage department, mm-hmm. and they were in charge of checking checking the temperature in the uh, cold room. Um, I mean, I think they had to check it like every hour or every two hours. Um, they were also in charge of knowing where every sample was at every second of the day. Um, mm-hmm. They would be the person to pull all of our samples for our testing. And if a sample was missing, um, they would be the the person to assist with that. So, yeah, but it was seven degrees Celsius, I think. So a bit chilly going in there. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So, like, it was awful in the summer because, as I told you guys, like, the AC problem was not, like, 
it was bad. Yeah. So like we would already have on our heavy lab coats and stuff. So we'd be sweating and then we'd go into like the cold room and then it would be so icy. So hmm. like definitely not good sometimes. Yeah. Then you're like going or like be tempted to want to go in there to like cool oh, off. We would like, totally do that. I'm not even going <laughs> to lie. We would 100% go in there um, to get some cold air when it got too hot in the lab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I definitely would do that. <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. So if um well, I'm not sure if like your lab would have done this. But let's say like you know in the Gulf how there was the BP oil spill, would that be something that your lab would have like addressed? Like if there was like a big um environmental kind of catastrophe like that, um would those kind of samples be sent to your lab or did you guys not really touch on um big things like that potentially um it would honestly just depend on um what company was um testing uh, or gathering those samples okay. so we have we have contracts or we had contracts with particular companies so it it really just depends it would vary i know that um during the oil spill that you're mentioning though that was before i worked there of course but mm-hmm. they um, did receive some samples during that um so it's definitely a possibility uh, okay so it sounds like the the way that the sample gets to the lab, it's like, so there's a whole other like group of, or like company or organization that's like actually the sampling collectors. And then they have a contract with the lab for, right? Is that how that works? It's Right. Okay. So um, there's a whole department at the lab called, um, they're called TSRs. They're, I guess, I don't know, tech support relation. I don't know what they're about. Anyways, their whole job, (laughs) not not my job, um, their whole, um, their whole, um, my mind is dead. I'm sorry. Their whole goal, (laughs) seriously, right? Their whole goal was to contract with clients. Mm -hmm. So they would be the people in the office on the phone day in, day out, um, reporting back lab results, um, reaching out to new clients. Um, So you could have clients that were independent companies. So like, um, and they, what we would do is we would take the order and they would be like, okay, we want two of this test, one of this test, whatever. And then our sample department, sample storage department would actually box up the bottles that you would need and the instructions on how to collect those samples. Mm -hmm. And then we would send them out and then they would send them back to us with a cooler. So we actually provided the cooler and all the, the packaging materials. Um, And then on the flip side, there are, like, in environmental crisis, um, there are contracted companies that do all the sampling um, because it's more of a global or, like, countrywide or, like, regional thing. So they want to keep it standard. And so typically, if I'm not mistaken, um, in those types of scenarios, multiple samples are usually taken and they're typically sent to multiple um depart like multiple companies mm-hmm. so like multiple labs would be testing the same product because it's more of a global or um larger impact than just like a regular routine test got it and then that kind of ensures that there's no like finagling in results kind of thing. right yeah of course of course so that would be a way to kind of 
like we do it, you would do it internally in your lab. So um, for each group of samples that you run, you would run a duplicate. Mm -hmm. So you would pick a sample and you would run it twice just to make sure everything was correct. Mm -hmm. But um, on a global scale, they do duplicate companies so they can have duplicates of all the um results so that you can't just say oh well this lab over here said this thing Mm -hmm. and we're just going to go with it because it's one big incident um is harder to be reliable on versus a routine monthly test yeah so i guess like now that like i mean you've been out of the lab for what like a year or um it's been like a year and a half, I guess. Yeah. So like, what are you doing now that since you decided to leave the lab and do something else? I am actually working as an admissions representative hmm. at a um, career training college uh, that's based here in Nashville. Nice. So that's like a kind of a full 180, like going from like a yeah. lab environment to like, I'm now an administrator. <laughs> yeah. It was so hard. I'm not even going to lie. The first like month or so sitting behind a desk all day, every day, talking on the phone um, behind a computer. But um, so I guess background in college, I was like super active in um, like student government and everything like that. And I was an RA, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of was like my other passion aside from the chemistry. So I wanted to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And that's like really inspiring to know that um, despite a specific degree, right, or a path that's chosen, um, people are still able to explore, right? You, you don't have to be locked in to paper says this. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Most definitely. Um, you know, a lot of times people think that your major is going to determine your life. And I definitely, I mean, would tell you that it doesn't. A lot of... Um, places higher just based on a degree in general, not on what the specific degree is in. So like they just want to make sure that you have that broader cultural, you know, educational experience there. So if you decide that you want to do something else, I mean, some things obviously are going to be major specific, but there are definitely options um, for exploring. Well, I think that's kind of all the questions that I had like off the top of my head okay. um i really really appreciate you coming on yeah no problem experience um yeah no problem yeah um if was there any like closing remarks like advice uh for aspiring you know like listeners that are thinking about lab work or like how to get through chemistry or that kind of thing that you would like um to knowledge bomb on us <laughs> <laughs> yeah um Honestly, chemistry is so insanely hard. Um, And so it is okay to not study 24-7. Don't do it. I tried to do that, and it nearly killed me. So definitely take some space. Take some some time. Go to your instructor's office hours. They are there to help you. Um, And there are all kinds of resources on the web as well. And definitely find a group of people to study with. That was my problem, as I mentioned earlier with the organic chemistry class. The first time I took it, I was like trying to do it solo. So chemistry is a really good experience to learn from other people. So definitely as far as that goes. But I mean, I'm in the Discord. So if you guys have questions about chemistry, if you have questions about environmental science, 
um, higher education in general. Like I'm a wealth of knowledge, so I'm here to help. Awesome. And do you have any plans? Because uh, you said higher education. So do you have plans for grad school? That so I've been thinking about it. I'm still just trying to like, I guess, figure out what I want to do, to be completely honest. Um, because <laughs> like, I mean, I have a degree in chemistry. I worked there for a year. And like, here I am like doing like college admissions and it's great and I love it. But I'm like... I, I'm only 25, so we'll see. Yeah, the world is our oyster. And Most definitely. Yeah, and I mean, especially with everything going on, we we're, don't even really know what kind of, like, workplace demand we're going to be seeing um, right. once this is all over. So, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, as far as higher education goes, I'm – have taken like the GRE and I was going to go to grad school and then that didn't happen. So like, I also thought I was going to go to PA school at one point. I clearly am like a big ball of confused. Don't know what I'm going to do. So. No, I completely relate. It's been this back and forth. Cause like I was like in aerospace and I'm like, yeah, civil engineering, not yeah, environmental engineering, Asian studies with environmental science. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So I stuck with that. And like the GRE, I'm totally dreading having to take that um, when I decide to apply. Um, like I'm taking the next, so I graduate, you know, this May with my bachelor's. I'm planning on taking a year off to just chill and oh, not, definitely think good about, idea. Yeah, not, not think about school. Um, but then I like dawned on me that I'm still like, I still have to take the GRE. Right. Like, fuck the the did you actually yeah. learn basic things in college tests? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> why do you have to test me on this? The GRE, I mean, I don't even know. It was something else for sure. Um, I don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, like, my question for the GRE would be, like, just have plan, like, months in advance for studying or something like that. Like, don't crunch it. Or Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I scheduled the test twice so I scheduled to take it once and I wanted to do a dry run with no studying which sounds kind of dumb but like I don't know for my personality that's just kind of what I wanted to do like to see what the test was about before I um like studied like without kind of having any background knowledge and I did I mean I did like fairly well without studying um so like it prepared me for what I needed to like what specific material I needed to study for I'm not saying that's a good idea dear god don't do it it was probably really stupid I would be so anxious like I'd go in and be like what the heck (laughs) but that is what I did I did a dry ride and so then that kind of helped me prepare for like what I needed to um, focus on, but like my college also paid for my first attempt at the GRE, oh, so like nice. I wasn't like risking any kind of money there. Yeah, I mean that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It really was. Hmm. Cool. Well, I look forward to hanging out with you more on the stream and in the Discord. Thank All you right. so much for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks and, for having me. Yeah, so everyone, this is Emily, um, also goes by MStar in Discord and in Twitch chat. And if you'd like to ask her any other questions, you can go ahead and ping her in the Discord. And she is an awesome person. I'm so glad she stumbled upon our community. And it's really awesome. She's cool. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And of course, um, you know, chat, Discord, always open. Just let me know how I can help.
Awesome. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend and I hope it's restful too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You guys too. Okay. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. A huge thank you to all of our Patreon supporters that make this podcast possible. And to Lewis from Fieldstone Studios for being our amazing audio guy. Catch you next time.